We are flexible if nothing else. It's always good to see God's people gather together. And it is a joy to welcome our visitors, the Harris family, the Fair family. Thank you for being here. You're a blessing to us. We hope we are an encouragement to you because you are an encouragement to us. Tonight I want to do something a little different. There you go. Something a little different than the traditional sermon where the preacher, the speaker, uh, gives a monologue, in essence, 20 to 30 minutes, or depending on what part of the country you're from, up to an hour or so. So this is more of an interactive sermon in that I want to hear from you. I want to hear your answers and your views to some questions I'm going to give you in tonight's sermon. Now, it's not a class, so I, I, a class is usually an hour long, so I, I promise you it won't be like an hour. <laughs> but more of an interactive sermon, about 15 or 20 minutes, where we look at some basic and fundamental questions to our faith, to the faith, the faith of our fathers as we just sung. So I'm going to ask you a question, and then I'm going to get the ball rolling by giving a viewpoint, giving an answer, and then I'd like to hear from you, your view, your answer, okay? And they're very basic questions. There are no Bible stumpers. We won't ask, do you know what the creature was that swallowed Jonah? We won't get into whether Adam and Eve had belly buttons or anything like that. These would be very basic and fundamental questions that we all should be very comfortable and well-versed in because they're very important. The first question I want to ask you is this. Why do you go to church? Why do you go to church? You know, if you've ever had neighbors that watch you, you know, I notice every Sunday you go to church. You know, your car is missing in the driveway, or you talk about church. Well, why do you go to church? Your children will ask that as well, other people's children. So I want to get the ball rolling by giving you my first and initial response. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament. And we're going to look at the book of Psalms, Job, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at Psalms chapter 42. And I'm going to give you my answer, or one of the answers I have, as to why I go to church, if anyone were to ask me. And we're going to start in Psalm 42, verse 1. And we read, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And I want to stop here and say, have you ever, and we did this a lot as kids, you ever been playing in a, in a, during the, the hot summer days, especially that's why I said when you're, when you're a kid, and you, you were out in the woods or somewhere, and you didn't have a drink, and you were really, really thirsty, and it was so hot and humid, and you're like, oh my gosh, and you, you feel like you're ready to fall out, and you've been so thirsty, and you almost literally pant. And that's what's being talked about here, as a deer pants for water. You know, when you're that thirsty, and you drink that nice, cold glass of water. And water never tastes so good as when you were, it's so hot and muggy and humid and you're so thirsty. And water just goes down so good and it's so satisfying. It satisfies your needs and your desire. 
Because when you are thirsty like that, there's nothing else that's really important except something good and cool to drink. And he's saying it, it's like, as a deer pants for water. And what does he say? When can I go and meet with God? When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. He was leading the crowd. He was leading a march to the, to the worship place. And it was a, a scene of joy. They were overwhelmed with joy that they could go to the house of God and meet with God, the God that they thirsted for as a deer pants for water. So why do I go to church? So I can meet with God. Now, anyone here, don't be shy. Can you give me a thought or a verse, whichever one is good, of why you go to church? Anyway, I know, I know, it's, it's, this is different, and I, I appreciate your, your efforts here. Why, why do you go to church, if I ask you? See, this is like a game show. We can't move on to the second question until I get at least two responses, hopefully three. <laughs> yes, sir? We commemorate and celebrate the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord and Savior. That is an excellent answer, brother. Commemorate. Commemorate, and we connect. Excellent. Excellent, I like that. Anyone else? We commemorate, we connect. In fact, in that commemoration, that's hard to say with the drama, in our commemoration of that, I want to turn to a verse here. Let's look at Acts chapter 20. Let's turn to the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And in chapter 20, a very simple verse, where Luke writes in verse 7, on the first day of the week, we came together. Well, why'd they come together? To break bread. Now, that wasn't to sample, you know, the latest deli rise and seedless rise and all the different kind of breads there were. They came together, and that's a term for referring to the Lord's Supper, to eat the Lord's Supper. And that is alluding to our commemoration here. Let's turn over to um, 1 Corinthians, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, in verse 26, Paul writes, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That is a commemoration. And it's all about proclaiming the Lord's death. It's to yourself, it's to this group, the congregation, and it's to the public. It's to the whole world that in breaking this bread, as they came together, we read on the first day of the week, that we are telling the whole world we are alive 
and we are sustained by Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. He keeps us alive the way food keeps us alive. And we honor that sacrifice ongoing over and over again. Any other thoughts? This is, good evening, this is an interactive sermon, so I want to hear from you, your thoughts. And I've got some wonderful thoughts so far. We're looking at why do you go to church? And one of the thoughts was that we commemorate the Lord's death. We connect with God. Brother Stu. Okay, that's marvelous thought, if everyone heard that. Marvelous thought. That, again, and that's the companion verse, if you will, to um, Psalms 42. Psalms 122 and Psalms 42. Where the, the, the psalmist rejoices in going to the house of God. Because that's where we meet with God. This is our time together. This is like, you know, if you ever visit Eloise in the, the nursing home, and you see the, any nursing home really, but... You see the old folks there. And sometimes you see old folks that are lonely, that their children aren't there with them. And it's a sad sight. And when you see one of the old folks there and they got a room full of family, how joyful they are that their children are there, their family is there with them. And I liken that scene to being here in church with God, that he rejoices that his children are here with him. And how you think about your children when they're around you, when they're with you, how important that is, how wonderful that is. Yes, I know children can be troublesome and demanding sometimes, but really, they are the joy. They are your joy. And we are God's joy. So marvelous. Marvelous thoughts. All right, I, want, I first ask you, why do you go to church? The second question I'd like to ask you this evening is, what must I do to be saved? After all, there is a whole lot of different thoughts and teachings about this matter. And I think there is no better response to a question concerning the Bible is when that question is actually asked in the Bible and what answer the Bible gives, because the Bible's answer is the best answer. So in answering the question, what must I do to be saved, I want to turn to the book of Acts, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, what is nicknamed the first gospel sermon, we read in verse 37 of Acts 2, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You know, when someone says they are cut to the heart, that is a really emotional time. That is an emotional response. Oh, that cut me to the heart. So these people were in anguish. They were cut to the heart. And they're saying, what should we do? Well, what's this? So this is, in essence, the same question. What must I do to be saved? Because what are they asking this question in response to? What have they just heard? Well, look at verse 36. 
And here Peter says, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, because, God is, uh, because Peter is talking to the Jews assembled for the Pentecost. So he says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. Again, he's talking to the Jews, both Lord and Christ. So what he is saying is let everyone be sure that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what does that mean? Christ means the chosen one, the anointed one. That he is chosen from the beginning. He is chosen from the beginning to save us. And what does it mean when it says Lord? That he is the God of the covenant. He is the God of the covenant between God and Israel. He is the God of the covenant between God himself and his people. That he is Lord and creator, the maker of heaven and earth. So he's saying, this Jesus is the anointed one, the chosen one, and he is the creator and God. A very powerful statement. We, always, we don't always think of what these words mean, the implications of these words. And when they, they realize they have crucified the creator, the God of the covenant, they are cut to the heart. And they ask this also important question. And the response in verse 38, Peter replied, repent. And that word, a lot of times people think, oh, that means oh, you're on your knees and you're in tears and you're agony. That's part of it, can be part of it. Repent means to change your mind. It means to change your mind, literally. It is a mental, a heartfelt, emotional U-turn, a 180, if you will. It means to change your mind before they saw Jesus as someone who deserved to be crucified. Now they realize he is Lord and Christ. They are to repent. And they are and be baptized. The second part. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. They are to be dipped in water for the remission of their sins. For the forgiveness of your sins. So, what must I do to be saved? Be sure that Jesus Christ is Lord. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. Now, that's to get the ball rolling. If someone asked you, what must I do to be saved? What would you say? How would you respond to that? Would you say, well, you know, I'm 30 minutes from home and it's a 20-minute uh, drive, and my show starts. <laughs> my show starts in 30 minutes, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not accounting for traffic. Uh, I'd love to answer your question, but I'll help you later. Would you, would you let them go, or what would, you, what would you tell them? Don't be shy. What would you tell them if they asked you that all-important question? Okay, marvelous. Hear the message. What else? Believe the message. Excellent. Because the whole world has heard the message, hasn't it? Hasn't the whole world heard the message? By and large, the message has gone out to the whole world, but the whole world is not saved, is it? The whole world is not saved. So they must believe the message. Is that it? Just believe? I like that answer. <laughs> but it was such good timing. Is it just believe, to hear the message, to believe the message? Is there anything else? 
The demons believe, and that's in James 2. So it is surely not enough. What else? We must confess. Excellent. And what is that confession? You're going to confess everything you've ever done wrong? If it's like me, if you're like anything like me, if I had to list everything that I've done wrong in my life, I would need an accountant, a CPA, and a really, really good memory. What are you confessing? That Jesus is Lord. Excellent. That Jesus is Lord. He is Lord and Christ. Otherwise known as the good confession. The good confession. Anything else? What would you say to someone? What must I do to be saved? Would you ask them if they were baptized as a baby, as Catholics? Teach. Would you say, have you said the sinner's prayer? The prayer on the back of the pamphlet. Have you ever read the religious pamphlets? And they'll say, say the sinner's prayer. Yes, Brother Doug. So you're saying about 14 and a half? No. Be a facetious. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. They have to be old enough, whatever that age is, to understand God's will for their lives. Excellent. So we have here, believe, the good confession that Jesus is Lord, and to be baptized, to understand the message. Anything else before we go on to our third question? Anything else? Any other thoughts? I love this. These are good thoughts. Okay. We have looked at why do you go to church? We have looked at what must I do to be saved? Our third question. Have you ever heard this thought? Baptism is an outward sign of an inward faith. Nothing more. How do you respond to that? And brother, please read that. Let's turn to Romans 6, 4. And Doug, if you would, be so kind. That is excellent, brother. Now, may I ask, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you when you hear that? Verse 3. All of us who were baptized into who? Christ Jesus. If we were baptized into Christ Jesus, where were we before we were baptized? Outside of Christ Jesus. 
And that's where we don't want to be. We don't want to be outside God. We don't want to be outside Christ. We don't want to be outside his blessings. We want to be inside Christ. We want to be in Christ Jesus. And we, were we are in Christ Jesus because we were baptized. And when we were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. Because you can't be resurrected, resurrected until you die. So we were baptized into his death so that we might share in his resurrection. Marvelous thought. Any other verses that you would look at to answer when someone says, baptism's just... And by the way, that's, I want to say this. Please hold the thought. When, when people say this is an outward sign of an inward faith, that's redundant. It's saying this to make a play on words. You know, there's no inward signs. When you drive out here and you get on Ritchie Highway, you'll see signs all up and down the road. They're all outward signs because that's what a sign is done, is made for. It's made to be seen. It's not an invisible sign. It's a sign that's loud and clear to the public. It's to be seen. This is the speed limit. This is the off-ramp. This is so-and-so. So they really could say, is it a sign of faith? But they were trying to be cute when they said it. They were trying to have a play on words, an inward faith. They're saying it's a sign of faith and nothing more. But as we just saw in this, in this way, it's much more. It puts us in Christ Jesus. Yes. John 3, 5. And would you please read that? Water and the Spirit. Now I want to put out this thought here, this question. Is that referring to the water birth when all people are born? It's called when the water breaks, that that's what it's referring to, that you have to be born? I'm being facetious because, no, that's ridiculous. I'm going to be, it's just ridiculous. When it's talking about water, what, it's, what is it talking about? It's talking about the waters of baptism that wash you and make you clean. You know, the way it is physically is the way it is spiritually. Have you ever just had like a workout or you're working out in the woods or in the yard and you got really dirty, good and dirty, and you were sweaty and it was hot and humid? Did you ever go in the bathroom and you looked at the shower and you said, I believe with all my heart that this shower can make me clean, and then you put on new clothes and went on your way without getting in the shower? No, because you don't get clean without getting in the water. And you don't get clean spiritually without getting in the water. The waters of baptism. To be baptized into Christ Jesus. Another thought. Any other responses to that? That was excellent. Thank you. Any other thoughts or responses to that? All right, I want to give one more. All right, that's good. Read it, please. Excellent. Now, some people will say, well, that's not the removal of, of, of filth from the flesh. And they'll say that it's, it's symbolic of water. It's not really the water. 
it's saying that just dipping in the water saves you. It's not saying there's no water involved. It's saying just taking a dip in a pool doesn't save you. But of course that is the case. Because as we have discussed, we must hear the message. We must believe the message. We must understand. And we must obey the message. And then the baptism, the waters of baptism, washes us and makes us clean. One last verse I want to read is Ephesians 5. If you would turn with me to Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start reading in verse 25. And here Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. And so he's making this analogy. He's saying a likeness between husbands and wives and Christ and the church. He says, and gave himself up for her. For what purpose? Why? To make her holy. Cleansing her. How? How does he cleanse her? By the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You don't get clean without getting in the water. And here we see that when we are washed with water through the word, that is through the word of God, and hearing the message and believing, understanding the message, God makes us radiant. Just think about that. We are radiant to God. There's no, thing, there's no such thing as radiantly unattractive. You know, there's just not. When someone is radiant, we talk about pregnant women and she, how she just glows. And that's that they are beautiful. We are beautiful to God. He makes us gorgeous. You ever, you ever see the, 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 the glitter um, studios and they'll airbrush out all your skin imperfections and, and they make you look good for, for, for like one picture in my life? That kind of thing. God makes us without spot or blemish. He views us as beautiful. He makes us radiant when he washes us and he makes us clean. That's much more than an outward sign of an inward faith. So tonight we have looked at three questions. Why do you go to church? What must I do to be saved? And baptism is an outward sign of an inward faith, nothing more. And we see the answers that God gives through his word. To anyone who has not heard the word of God before, who has not obeyed the word, who is not a Christian, you see the answers before you tonight. You have God's invitation and our longing that you would not leave this building without becoming a Christian. So won't you please come forward now while we stand and sing the imitation song. Number five, one, seven.